hello everyone. Welcome to Merle's Pearls of Business Wisdom, where I, Merle M. Singer, the relationship miracle worker, talks about all things relationship and how they impact the workplace. Today's topic is actionable accountability because it's an integral part of effective, satisfying relationships in the workplace and everywhere else in your life. My guest is Dave Rosenberg. So let me tell you about Dave. Dave's biggest challenge as a naval officer, guess what? He was a naval officer. Didn't come in the cockpit of his F-14, but as a leader of people. Everywhere you go, it's relationship, it's people. It was under the pressure of combat where he grasped how the right words, aha, at the right time, inspire, not just merely motivate others. An engineer by education, Dave began training in martial arts at 13. Uh, I know that's a bit old for beginning your training in martial arts, but you know, Dave took his time. And uh, he holds black belts in two disciplines, which he'll later tell me about, because I only know black belts. He has been the president of four companies and senior management of two others in his 30 plus years in leadership. And he combined the systemic, systematic rather, approach of an engineer with the discipline of a martial artist always the artist, to develop his locked-on leadership system. Today, Dave shares these secrets with organizations all around the world, guiding them to transform teams into radically accountable, therefore high-performing forces that behave as, as if lives depended on. In addition to being an author of Locked On Leadership, The Tactical Business Guide to Creating a Culture of Consistency, Courage, and Caring, one breath for that entire title, <laughs> and co-host of the internationally popular podcast, which is still something that you can uh, uh, listen to, Disarming Persuasion. Dave is an avid hockey player and a member of the Civic Air Patrol. He lives in San Diego with his wife, dog Chip, and his 140-plus pound sulcata tortoise. Oh. That's right. African horned tortoise. Oh, you, I have to tell you, I have a friend that has uh, his whole backyard is tortoises. And and he has uh, and um and they get born there and he puts them in a terrarium to keep them safe till they're big enough, and and they're in his will, you know, yeah. if mm -hmm. anything happens, uh, it belongs to some society or whatever. They they make sure that you have them in their will. Yeah, no, I we we have all, his name is Omar. And 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 Omar is in our trust, yes. Wow. And and he's now we just weighed him last week. He's over 150 pounds now. Oh my gosh. 
is not someone that sits on your lap. <laughs> he sits wherever he wants to. <laughs> Do you have him in the house? No. So uh, we're on an acre uh, in unincorporated San Diego County and our garage has a, so he lives in a garage. We have a, a man door that goes out to the backyard and it's fenced off. So we have a what we call the people area that he can't access because there's a fence there. Right. And then the wild part of the yard is also fenced off. So we open that back door up in the morning and he wanders, he patrols the the, the um the property line. You just see him going along the fence. He eats all the wild grass and stuff. And uh, that's where he spends his days. And then he comes into his dog igloo. You picture one of those big plastic dog igloos that we had to cut the door out because it got he's too big for it. We have a heat lamp and stuff in there so he can, you know. Okay, so it can be warm. Yeah, because they're cold-blooded. And, you know, even though it's San Diego, it can be 30 degrees here yeah. uh, early in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. How did that happen? How did Omar happen into your life? So our neighbor uh, adjacent to us actually had Omar and another Salcada tortoise. He was almost about 70 pounds at the time, and they were both males. They're highly territorial. So they would fight and they they roll each other. So they try they have these little horns under their head. And that's what I call them African horn tortoise. And they, they try and get under each other and flip over the back. So uh -huh. Omar was kicking butt. He was the other tortoise was bigger, but Omar was able to get under him and get more leverage. So Chris, my neighbor, couldn't keep two of them because even though he kept them separated, they, they're diggers, believe it or not. They burrow. And so they would dig around the fence and then they attack each other. So Chris said, do you want them? And my response was, I don't need another animal. We had uh, four dogs at the time and a rooster, and we didn't really need another animal. But my wife said we do. So, you know, she gets 51% of the vote as any good relationship. Yes. So Omar picked them up, or Chris picked them up, handed them over to the fence to me, and we got there Omar. <laughs> That's hilarious. But so it's, uh, yeah, so it's just the one. Each of you have just one tortoise. Yeah, and we had to put, you know, uh, it's cyclone fencing, so it's, they could see each other. So we had to put those plastic slats so they can't see each other because they would butt heads through the fence. Oh, wow. Wow. So where I... Uh, uh, where, where I work out, uh, there are, I don't think they're tortoises, they're because they're water. They go in the water. Well, those are turtles, not tortoises. They're turtles, right. So those turtles, uh, when they, well, never mind when they mate, when they lay eggs, they come up all the way up this hill to a flat part and they burrow and, right. and, and put the eggs in, in uh, where they, so they, so I can believe that they're able to do that. Okay, this is not the topic of Omar. <laughs> We're talking about my relationship with Omar. Was <laughs> I, I, I just couldn't. There was, so I'll, I'll save the other for after the broadcast because there was something else that surprised me. But what, that my wife gets 51% of the vote? No, 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 that didn't surprise me at all. You're, <laughs> you're a very smart man. I know that. <laughs> And that's, you know, that's relationship. <laughs> so there's a place for different kinds of communication 
in different relationships at different times. Is that no? You're you're spot on. But let's talk about locked on leadership because I I, I um. What did I say? It's that uh, that what you started out with. Oh, actionable accountability. I like that. Was that my phrase? I thought that was yours. No, I got it right off. I forgot. I don't know where I got it off of, but it was yours. Wow. No wonder I liked it when you said it. (laughs) I went actionable accountability. Wow. I I like the way that sounds. I should use that. I guess I already did. you did and i liked it too so i used it (laughs) what's what i'd like about (laughs) actionable accountability is because it's actionable you know most people think of accountability um when i when i narrowed my focus to accountability specifically as opposed to leadership in general um I got a lot of people say, oh, accountability. We all need accountability, accountability, accountability. But when I started digging in, what I found is that what most people think about accountability, they think about how to hold somebody accountable. And, you know, that's an absolute requirement. You need to be able to do that. I'm happy to dig into what that looks like. But at the same time, if that's all you're doing, you're not going to create accountable people. There's so much more to it. There are steps and things and processes and mindsets that we need to have every moment of every day to create a culture of accountability, a culture where people do what they want, what they, what people want to do, what they're supposed to do right the first time. So, yes, I, 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 I was listening to something else you said, and you talked about making sure uh, I mean, to get people to do what they want, what they do, you have it has to be something they want to do. So how, how, and I, which makes perfect sense. How, how do you meld them into the corporate culture and and the personal? Well, I mean, that, that's a really big question, right? I mean, if you think about that, um, I, I certainly could give some high level views of that but it's not a 20 minute or 30 minute discussion <laughs> oh, okay. oh i mean do you think i i i have a three-day retreat where we we go deep into how to do that so um but it starts with understanding what your values are because values are how we make decisions so when somebody decides i want to do this thing or i'm not going to do this right i have this assignment i need to get it done in time and they 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 make a volitional decision to either delay doing the work or doing the work right that's 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 something people decide to do nobody it's not accidental where they go oh i didn't get around to it at some point something came in and distracted them and they made a decision to do this other thing instead of what was asked of them Right. So that's a volitional decision. That's understandable. We make decisions based on our um, values, our personal values. And we all make decisions 100% aligned with our personal values. We can't help but do that. What happens sometimes, though, is people think their values are something else, or they don't really know what their values are. And they say they have values of you know, integrity, or they have values of accountability, or they value 
getting things done or they value, you know, uh, family or whatever it is they value, but they don't truly feel that way. So step one is knowing what your cultural values are. Culture is nothing but uh, the embodiment and demonstration of our values. And then hiring people who truly share those values. So it starts with that. So <laughs> I'm going to hear what you say to this. So how, in, in a nutshell, just, just, just the headings of the outline, you know, the capital A's, how can you get somebody to, if they don't, if they're not clear, or, and they don't even know they're not clear on what their values are, how how can you, I don't know, let them know that they don't actually know what they're talking about? Or how, you know, how how can you make them understand their true values, what they really believe? They don't know. I mean, that that's a journey of a lifetime for people to understand, I think, what their true oh. values are. Some people, some people oh. get it when they're young. Like, I, I probably couldn't have told you my true values in my 30s. You know, I'm 62 now. I probably couldn't have told you in my 30s. I probably give you uh, a semblance of what values were really important to me in my 40s and 50s. But it literally was three years ago when I figured out what my highest, most important value is. So that's a journey of a lifetime. So I'm not sure that you can get somebody to realize what their values are and aren't. But what you can do is uncover if their values aren't aligned with your values during the interview process by asking the right kind of questions in the right kind of way. <laughs> okay. I, you know, I'm going to say, well, well, kind of, what, what is the right way? What yeah, sorry, I, I'm trying to give you a chance to talk at your podcast. Um, so <laughs> No, no, no. You don't have to. That's okay. What what I coach my clients on is how to do what I call scenario-based interview questions, where you present a scenario that mm -hmm. has whatever your value is. And I'll give you an example in a second. Whatever your value is, in contrast with another value, understand that we don't tell the candidate, the job candidate, our values are service. Right. That's true. Right. right. We don't want to tell them up front what right. that is. If they're smart, they'll go look at the webpage because it's usually on the webpage for most people. But I guarantee even if they've done that, they're not going to connect the dots with that, with what I'm about to describe. So you've concocted for each of your company values, I would say at least two scenarios, but you know, one, if you only do one to start, that's fine. But a couple scenarios and they look like this. And I'm not going to tell you the value here. I'm just going to give you the scenario. Let's pretend we're a service organization that requires you to go on site to perform the service. It's 10 minutes before closing. You've received a memo the week before saying there's no unauthorized overtime. If overtime is to be had, you need to get permission from a manager, supervisor, et cetera. You're the only one in the office, phone rings. It's an important customer. And they say they need you out there right away they should have called the week before and they, sorry, they didn't, but they need something service because it needs to be ready the next day. What do you do? Well, 
I would think you would go and call. You'd call and say, I have to, this, you know, this is an important person, an important client. So we need to, to uh, accommodate them. I, I'm, I'm starting out there, but in, just in case you've got some better solution than that, you know, answer me back. So you just, so if if you if we're doing an interview and you said I would call and I would say we well, can't get through to anybody, what I just heard you say is that you would go anyway, correct? Yeah. Okay. So what you just demonstrated is that customer service is a more important value than following the rules. You're right. Now, if my That's company values are following the rules, you're not a good fit. You're if right. my company values are customer service, you're a great fit. You're a great fit. There's no wrong answer. But there's a wrong answer for those for two different values. Okay, that's interesting. That's that's very interesting. So it's you have to be so clear on your company, uh, and, and it can be a company of one, by the way, whatever your you know whatever your business is, however big or small it is. You, you're so clear on those values. That if you do a scenario where they have to make a choice and they don't choose your value, oh, that's they're not a good candidate for an employee of yours. Exactly. Even, even if they're great people. So, yeah, they may very well be, from a technical perspective, the most highly skilled person in their trade. But if we make decisions based on our values, if their values are not in align with yours, their decisions are not going to be in align with the decisions you would want them to make. And I want to roll back to what you said, even if you're a company of one. The values of the company are the value, personal values of the owner, period. Okay, now, if you're a publicly held company, it gets a little more complicated. It really becomes the values of the board of directors as a whole. But you know, still... It, at, at some point, it becomes personal because what will happen rarely, especially in these really large companies, are they hiring to values at all? Okay. So now it's whoever the hiring manager is, hire, fire authority or whoever, right? Whatever their personal values are, because they're going to want to run their shop, their department, their whatever they're in, in their way. And if their team is aligned with them, they'll be more successful than if their team is working in contrary to their alignment. Well, you... Are you talking about it, the HR company or are you talking about the 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 boss? The actual person they're working for, mm -hmm. right? HR is HR does nothing more. And, and if you're an HR person out there, I'm not minimizing what you do. But what I'm saying is that at the end of the day, HR is about compliance. Yeah, that's true. Right. I and the 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 operational manager who is going to be exerting control who ultimately has the higher fire. Yes, they have to do it within the, the HR you know, framework yeah. because HR is protecting the company and protecting the employees at the same time, right? They have yeah. this dual role. But within that framework is that hiring manager, the person who's working for, if, they're, if, if, if they get foisted, if somebody says, oh, Dave, you're going to go work for Jane and Jane and I have, are at odds uh, how we want to approach things because we have different values. 
we're going to be oil and water and we're not going to get along. And it's, and, and it's going to be bad for the team dynamics. It's going to be bad for James. It's going to be bad for me. It's a lose, lose, lose proposition. So, uh, so, so my question to you is, 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 is so you, you create opportunities for people to think about this and, and learn approaches to make your, their companies affected. How many, how many companies do you come across? Uh, yeah, I'm just, how many companies that you come across that didn't even think in terms of their values when, when they created the company or when they hire people? Many, many more that did not think about it than did, yeah. you know, um, I frequently get hired by companies that do think along these same lines because they're looking to up their game, right? The challenge is the, the companies that don't think about it and don't think it's important, they don't yeah. see value yeah. in what I do, right? And they have high turnover, right? Right, And they have low productivity. right? Uh, and, and, you know, they're the managers who are saying things to themselves like, you know, I, I wish I... Or they would act like adults. They know what they have to do. Why don't they just do it? Right? And right. that's just one aspect, by the way. That's just the beginning of creating accountability. There's much more to it than than just hiring people with the same shared values. That's a showstopper if you don't. That's that's where it begins. It's not where it ends. Yes, yes. So it, it, it's 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 really um, it's very interesting to. And it's not surprising to me, you know, doing doing things where people or I'm helping them get along with other people uh, to get what they want or to just have a smooth relationship in the workplace. Uh, but this is this is a higher level than that. This is this is uh, create. This is creating that pool of people that uh, will either go smoothly or not. Yeah, and it doesn't mean it's going to go smoothly, as I sort of alluded to a minute ago. But if you think about relationships in general, so let me step into your world for a second. And, yes. and correct me if I'm wrong here. I will. We, we create, I know. That's what I love about you, Merle. We, we create relationships for really only two reasons in my experience. Either we have a common goal, some tangible thing we want to accomplish, or we have common values. So we're not necessarily trying to accomplish anything, but we get along with each other because we see eye to eye with stuff, about stuff. And the example I like to use is, imagine you move into a new neighborhood, it's a cul-de-sac, okay? So you don't have a lot of cars going by, it's you and your neighbors, and one day you get a knock on the door. You don't know your neighbors very well yet. You've been there a little bit and they say, hey, you know, we're going to have a block party. Do you want to help me? Like, yeah, I want to meet my neighbors. So you have a common goal. The team comes together. The goal is the block party, right? So a relationship is created. All the people are putting a block party together. In the process of creating the block party, some of your neighbors you discover you share values. You go to the same synagogue, same church, same mosque, whatever. You have the same religious beliefs. You have the same caged kids, maybe the same life's experiences. The things that are important to you are important to them. Right? That's what we're talking about values. After the block party is over, most of you, yes, you say hi, hi neighbor, right? The relationship sort of not falls apart, but it it's nowhere near as close because you're not working towards that common goal. But those 
handful of people that you found commonality with, you continue to see and socialize with them. That's our experience, right? So the the relationship created for the common goal, the relationship stayed because of the common values. The values gives the relationship staying power. And obviously when you have common goals in a business, getting the business done, and you have common values, it's even more powerful. That's good. That's good. But I think we also have um, relationship uh, with uh, people that I don't know if we know what our common goals or values are. We're thrown in the same place. I'm going to give you an example of uh, that I, I haven't done before. Um Somebody works in the workplace office, and I. This is actually was somebody in a doctor's office, and this was happened to me. Mrs. Singer, I love my job. I love my job, but that witch, that one, that supervisor, whoever she is. She, I'm I'm ready to quit. Now, they they don't have common, they don't, there is no, there's no connection. They don't know if they have common goals or common. So I say, uh, if she, you know, here's what I suggest. When you have somebody that you don't get along with, this is a suggestion I have. And I, get, I gave her the, the whole course, but it came down to give that woman a compliment every day. One compliment. And it has to be authentic. You have to really believe it, but it can be inconsequential. I like your shoes. That's a pretty frame on your desk. Uh, or... I, I, I agree with you. Don't have to say I agree with you. You said because you may never agree with what she says, but give that person a compliment every day. And <laughs> next week she said, "Mrs. Singer, I had so much trouble. I couldn't do it, but I did it the first day. The second day was harder, but I found something to say." And then the third day, and, and after that, it was okay. At two weeks late, I and mean, she just kept going. She didn't do it just for a week. She kept going. It was about two or three weeks later, one of the other employees in that office said to her, what's going on with the witch? She's so nice. And uh, my person said nothing. She didn't say what she had done. She said nothing. She was just aghast at, at how it not just changed her relationship with that person. It changed that person's relationship in the whole office. So, so that's a great example of what I was talking about. And here's what I mean. They had a relationship. It wasn't a healthy relationship. It wasn't a good relationship. And the only reason they had that relationship was because I had a common goal, which was getting people in and out of that office, getting patients taken care of. They had, that's what created the relationship. What made it healthy 
was your magic. Okay, that's your that's your secret sauce, your magic, your ability to do that. All I'm saying is, without that common goal of working together, well, yeah. they would not have had any relationship at all. That's and had they met each other on the street, probably never developed one because they had sure. no reason to. So we only develop relationships because we either know we share values or we have some common goal, something we do together. That's that's the sum total of my point. That doesn't speak to the um, healthiness or the, yeah, that the health of the relationship. It just speaks to whether or not it exists. Well, I have to, I, I have to. Cogitate on that? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds good. <laughs> it sounds right from here. But yeah, so you're, I mean, we're stuck with relationships. That's. Well, no, no, we always have choices. We don't need that relationships. We can go be hermits in the mountain. People have done that before. People still do that every now and then. You know, there's, you know, people like minimum relationships. There's homesteaders who go live out in the middle of nowhere because, oh, yeah. you know. You know, we, we are not stuck with anything. So I mentioned earlier, you know. Sure. Just recently discovered my highest value, which is um, uh, um, I am sovereign, right? It's personal sovereignty. It's I am the only one responsible for me, and I am ultimately the responsible for me. I'm not. Other people are not responsible for me. They're not responsible for my decisions. Not responsible for my actions. Not responsible for my outcomes. Me and only me. And there are people who say, you know what? I don't want to be influenced, meaning I don't want to have to deal with how other people influence me. And I want to just go off and be by myself. And that's their sovereign right to do so. We all make our own decisions and we're not stuck with anything. Yes, yes, yes. I, I said that loosely. You're absolutely correct. We're all responsible for ourselves and how and how we integrate ourselves into the world and and interact. Absolutely. That, that's and I think. Kind of the excitement and joy of of, uh, of existence, really. Sure. And, you know, to bring this full circle, because you started talking about, you know, developing uh, cultures of accountability, or I started talking about that. It, it starts there, too, right? So, yeah, you want to hire people to share values, but you also have to recognize that you are ultimately responsible for your reality and what you, just, what, what you do. Um, and so if you don't, so there's three tenets. I call it the uh, accountability triangle, right? Uh, it's the three elements that must be present to create the culture of accountability. And mechanics, mindset, and model. And model means we must model the behaviors we want to see in others. And we can only do that. I shouldn't say it. Let me back up. Not that we can only do that. We will always do that. We're always going to model the behaviors we get from our teams. That's number one. You see a behavior your team is doing, Find it in yourself. Okay. Look for it in you and get rid of it if you don't like it. Important. And that is an important statement. Oh, it's hugely important. So, so where, where personal sovereignty comes in mind is you have to accept that you are responsible for all of that. That's right. So otherwise you can you know do that blame victim game. Oh, it's not That's my right. fault. This, this outside thing happened. Well, if you do that, your team's going to do that. And which means they're always going to come up with excuses for not getting things done. Yes. 
Yes, that's it. I, I, uh, we should stop now because we are in such agreement. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, uh, I think what you're saying is, incredibly important uh people and clients and and just people i know flash through my head when you're talking about being responsible uh, i the way you worded um if if you find a, a behavior in somebody else that you're interacting with uh, objectionable then you have to find it in yourself and if you don't if it's and you still don't like it get rid of it in yourself and it, and that other person uh either that issue or that person will disappear yeah there's yes um certainly frequently when you be, when we change our personal behavior we set our standards higher. Those people who don't meet those standards will self-select out of our lives quite frequently. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. Or, and, and I think your your story is in a perfect example, right? These two people didn't get along, but what did she do? She changed her behavior. She, she set out to compliment, a sincere compliment, to look for something positive in this other person every single day. As a result, this other person became more positive themselves. Also, just by the fact that they had to find something, something nice, they found something nice. That, yeah. and, that, and that in itself changed what was going on in her head. You know, we get more of what we think about. It's that simple. I mean, there, there's... Um, Oh, I can't blanking on the phrase right now. Um, uh, confirmation bias, right? The term confirmation bias right, oh, right. comes to mind. It, it happens in many different ways. I Years ago, I bought a yellow sports car. Never saw it on the road until I bought it. And then it was all over. Oh, there's, another, there's another one. There's another one. There's another one. <laughs> oh, my God. I thought I had the only one. <laughs> Or get your tonsils out. And all of a sudden, everybody had the tonsils out. Right. It's weird. Right. <laughs> My God, you too? I thought I was alone. <laughs> right. This confirmation bias, our brain starts seeing, you know, and, and this sports psychologist uses this all the time. You know, uh, there's a book, I think his name is Bob Bethard. I think I, that's the right name. It's on golf. And what he talks about is stop focusing on what you did wrong. Start focusing on what you do right. Yes. 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 That's, yes, that's very important. And it's all the same effect. What we think about is yes. what we get. Yes, it's true. It's true. Some things uh, as a counselor, well, and you know too, because you counsel people. Some things people aren't ready to hear. And you you know, you can kind of introduce a topic and a different approach, but they have to hear it. Yeah, I mean, look, um, we're all living, growing beings. Um, I think it was 
it was a Greek philosopher, Hippocritus, I think, said no man ever steps in the same river twice because the river is not the same, nor right. is the man. Right. Right. And so, you know, you read a book and then you reread it a year later and you're going, did they rewrite this book? It's the, Physically, it's the same exact book with the same words, but you're seeing something different because you're in a different place. Right. So, you know, as uh, when I'm giving somebody guidance, I introduce them to the concept and it may or may not land today but that seed is planted. Yes. Yes. That's also, yes, that's good. Good to know. Cause that, that gives you, that gives you courage as, uh, as the seed planter. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, again, people are sovereign. They, they don't have to act on my advice. That's up to them. Yes. But it is my responsibility, is all of our, I believe, all of our responsibility, not so much to give advice. Now, I'm be real careful here. Like, you don't go around, do this, do this, do this. No, not at all. However, if we model, going back to what I said, if we model the behaviors we want from others, we are planting that seed. Yes. Yes. And yes. So the way I put it is, it, it, I, I feel if you're going to talk about your, uh, what, what, what is uh, what what is what is my value? It is to to be the best that I can be, keep growing, and and offer that have it available to everybody else. And and, and I mean that that could be teaching. Sometimes it's just by being. We you learn stuff from some neighbor that you, you hardly ever see, but one day something happened and, and it made an, a, a, uh, some effect on you. I mean, we never know where our influence is. And it, it's, it's just important to put it out there and, and have it, you know, to care about helping the rest of the world. You know, it, it's funny to bring that up as a speaker, as you know, we, we, we create these, keynotes and talks and programs where you know these are the key points and and, and meeting plans are like, you know, what are the three key takeaways and you go oh, i think these are the three most important things you go okay these are the things that people are going to walk away with and they're going to grab hold of and then you do the program and afterwards people come up to you and they're like oh my god you said and it's something innocuous that you just threw out there that you thought it was just a setup for this really important thing but what they heard, that little innocuous throwaway line to them was just earth shattering. Yes. yes. We never know where, how, yes. what yes. we say is going to influence others. And that was one of the most important lessons for me. So be genuine, be yourself, be on all yes. that. When I say be on, I mean, you know, be on point all the time. Do the best you can with every situation. Be you intentional. Just, I'm so, yes, be intentional. Thank you. Yeah. Did you intentionally say that? <laughs> well, you know, it just came to my mind. But I said, I should say a lot of the things that come to but not all the things. <laughs> there are times when having a filter is good. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. I think, um, I think that I would just a second dave i have the water no tell me what i can help 
I think it's time to conclude. Uh, uh, but before before I give my con conclusion, I would like to ask you, is there something that you would like our audience, uh, would you like to advertise something? Would you like to have them do something? Would you like to get have them get your book? What would you like them to do? Well, I mean, they're certainly welcome to Locked On Leadership, uh, my book on Amazon. I just uh, search Locked On Leadership and it will come up since we're video. I happen to have one right here. This is what it looks like. And uh, you're, you're welcome, of course, to do that. If you're interested at all in reaching out to me, uh, if you go to LockedOnLeadership.com, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, Leadership.com, reach out, contact me. Um, happy to discuss whatever business leadership situation you're in and see if I can offer any uh, guidance at all. Um, you know, just, sure. just reach out. Don't worry. There's, I'm not asking for money or anything like that. I just want to help. No, just just a conversation. Just a conversation. Would be a benefit to whom, whomever. So I want to thank. Yeah, um, I, I I promise you, you'll get something actionable out of the conversation. Okay, that's good. Uh, so you are holding yourself accountable for the actionable. Or actionable for the accountable. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I'll hold myself accountable to provide actionable information, whether uh, you do anything with it or not. Well, I, that's your action is providing the actionable uh, uh, suggestions. Correct. <laughs> so I want to thank everybody for listening to Merle's Pearls of Business Wisdom with me, your host, Merle M. Singer the Relationship Miracle Worker. You can find this episode and all past episodes at, you can do, go to relationshipmiracleworker.com slash podcast. But you know, you can just go to Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music, whichever, whichever ones you use, uh, any of the, your favorite platforms, and you will find my podcast, uh, Merle's Pearls of Relationship Wisdom. 